Today, the title of the sermon is called The Perfect Law. And I'm going to start out at the very beginning, and I want to show you a little bit about where my background comes from and where I've learned to speak and do sermons and see how I was thrown to the fire and explain that a little bit to you, how I uh, was in the middle of Africa for the first time with uh, another Adventist, and he says, hey, it's your turn. And so that's how I learned to preach. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. If you would uh, bow with me, we'll have prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask again for your Holy Spirit to be here with us, to guide us, to watch over us, and to keep us, Lord. We ask and pray that as each one of us sees the world around us crumbling, that we would ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, that we would be preparing and getting ready for your soon coming. In Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so through the sermon today, I want to look at mainly five things. The first thing is, I want to show you some of the places that I've traveled to and some of the evangelism that I've done, get you to know a little bit about me. Two, I want to look at the Bible and through the Bible, see how we can remove sin from our lives. So how do we get prepared? How do we get ready for what's coming? And then three, I want to talk a little bit about how do we replace those things in our lives that we had to remove and why that's important. And then four, what is our part? What do we have to do in removing sin from our lives. Now, as I've traveled around the world, and this is one of the sermons that I like to give most often, because I find that throughout the world, some people think that the Lord will just take from us our sins if we ask. And if we look at what Ellen White has written, and I'm sure each one of us has experienced it in our lives, it doesn't just always happen like that. Sometimes it does. But for the most part, we have a work to do to remove the sins from our life. So that's really important. And then five, the five things we must do to remove sin. And we'll see these five things well planned out in the Bible. And we'll cover them. And so hopefully by the time we all leave here today, we'll have a great understanding of what do we need to do and how do we ask the Holy Spirit and work with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to remove sins from our lives. So, these are the couple places that I've traveled in the last five or six years. Um, The first place that I actually traveled to was in uh, Africa. It was in the Togo. I have a couple pictures. And then uh, Ethiopia and Malawi And then the most place that I've traveled to is the Philippines. Uh, In the Philippines, uh, I actually have a group of about 20 Bible workers that I'm currently self-supporting. There's probably about 30 to 40 churches that they go around and help uh, individuals and churches to get people ready for the second coming. So it's really amazing the work that's going on there. Um, I haven't been back there in a, in a while. The last time I went was with Troy Horton, which 
He usually attends here. Um, but my first trip to, to Africa, I tell you, it was uh, amazing and scary. I never left the United States before in my life. I didn't even know what the world looked like outside the U.S. And uh, traveling to one of the poorest countries in the world right off the bat was quite an eye-opener. From what the toilets in the sanitary system looks like to travel was quite different and quite eye-opening. And I'll tell you, it's quite an experience that has really changed who I am to see how fortunate we are in the United States for the life that we do have. So like I said, here's just a couple slideshows I want to get through of a couple pictures. Um, the picture on the left was uh, from my first trip to Togo. And transportation is just a whole nother thing. You could go anywhere from a mile to five miles and you're guaranteed to break down. You very rarely made it from destination to destination without a car breaking down. Just the infrastructure and the cars are so old. And then the two pictures on the right there um, are actually from some schools and a church that we attended. And it was just really amazing to see how people live throughout the world. This was my last trip to the Philippines, which was about two years ago. Um, the picture on the left is Troy and me on the airplane. And then the picture on the right is just one of the most amazing pictures that we, or outlooks that we went around uh, and we got to take some pictures of while we were in the Philippines. Now, like I said, in the Philippines, there's quite a few Bible workers and groups that we work with. Um, the picture on the right, the yellow inside the church, this is actually a church that the group actually built through tithes and offerings. And uh, these are the Bible workers in that area that some of them are supported, some of them are not. And just a couple more pictures of the travel The picture on the left is a picture of Troy, and I think, yeah, the next picture here uh, is of some of the food. Now, the one great thing about traveling outside the United States to some of these areas is the food. I'll tell you, the fruit, the vegetables are just amazing. And this was really one of my first interactions with a culture that ate rice for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. So, after that trip, I actually lost about 15 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, the food just tastes so much better. Uh, the picture on the left was actually on a Sabbath afternoon. We walked outside of a church, and this was the view. And then here are just a couple more pictures. Bug nets. Just the way of life is just slightly different there. Just to survive and not get malaria or some of the other diseases that still occupy, occupy a lot of these areas. And then the picture on the right is me actually giving a sermon on Sabbath. And then on the left was a series that we put on in the evening. Now when we put on series like um, kind of like we just had here, we could get anywhere from 100 to 400 people show up 
through word of mouth alone, which was pretty amazing. Um, and there were always, every kid from the entire village would show up. So that was pretty neat. Now I want to get started and on the sermon here. And this sermon really is going to go through quite a few texts in the book of James. And we're going to see in the book of James really three characteristics that fall in place. In like verses 1 through 18, we'll see the testing of the faith. Okay, And then from 19 to basically chapter 5, we're going to see characteristics of faith. And then from about 5 on, we'll see the triumph of faith. Now, I have a couple particular texts inside of James that are really my favorite. I would say, overall, this book has helped to make me who I am today. And so I really hope that you can see by the time we're done what an importance this book is and should be in each one of our lives. So I have a couple readings that I want to read through. This one is from The Great Controversy. It says, Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of the sprinkling. And I think this is the most important part. It says, through the grace of God and their own diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. So we can really begin to see that we have a work to do ourselves. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins and penances believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, a putting away of sin among God's people upon earth. And one more here from Great Controversy 621. God's love for his children during the period of their severest trial is as strong and tender as the days of their sunniest prosperity. But it is, a need, it is needful for them to be placed in the furnace of fire. Their earthliness must be consumed that the image of Christ may be perfectly reflected. So we can see that these trials that we're going to go through, they're here to help us. They're here to prepare us. So what I try and do when I have issues or problems or trials that come up in my life and in my work, I try to look deeper into that. I try to find what is it that I need to learn from this? What is it that I need to do not to repeat this? What do I need to learn so that I can reflect Christ? It says, every, night, every right desire comes from Christ. He is the only one who can make us hate sin. Every time we feel a desire for truth and purity, every time we see our own sinfulness, we can know that the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts. 
Now this was the text that we had for our reading today. And I really believe that this is an important text for each one of us to understand and to really take a look at. So don't just put this aside after today's sermon, but go home and really take a look at it. So what I believe that this text is telling us is that we're here to help each other out, okay? Especially during our problems and our trials. You're not alone. You know, I really see a lot of people, they go off and they say, no one else is experiencing the same problems I have. No one can understand. No one knows what I'm going through. But we can see here that we each understand and can help each other through these trials and problems because they are common. We know what's going on, and we can help those people. So the people that have problems uh, with mental illness and other things like that, we do have a way through the Bible to reach them and through our own personal experiences. Now I want to take a look at James. So if you have your Bible, open it. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. But it's James 1.13. It says, and I think this goes along so well with the last text. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And this is the other kind of fallacy that you see is people believe that this is God putting this trial and tribulation in your life. God is using it when it comes in your life, but he does not put it there. He does not do that. We'll see that more as we continue through the book of James. So the next text I want to take a look at is Romans 5, 3 to 5. This text says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now this text really kind of just combines everything that we've been starting to talk about. And we see here that through our tribulations, our character, everything begins to come in line with what Christ wants us to be. And as we work with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit tells us what we need to work on in our lives, what we need to remove, what we need to do to be prepared. We can see that that fire, that furnace that we're being put through is for our good. And that's really key. Now let's take a look at James again. So James 1, 2 to 4. Says, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith faith produces patience. It goes on to say, but let patience 
have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. So we continue to put this story together. We see that all of our trials, all of our tribulations continue to perfect us, to get us ready for this soon coming. Now let's jump down to um, verse 14 and verse 15 of James. And what I'll say about these texts is that we begin to see here where Satan is able to draw us away. Okay, So these texts are really key on where does that bad seed get put into our life? Where is that root that begins of the sin? Okay? Says James 1, 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, when you have a plant, a healthy plant has to have a root system, right? It's got to be watered. And so when we use this analogy in sin, we see here that the root system is, you know, that desire, it's that sin, it's grabbing onto our leg. And we're continuing watering it by going back towards that sin. We're continuing to think about it. We're continuing to go back to that store where you're buying the cigarettes or the alcohol or whatever that sinful action is in your life. And then let's jump down to verse 17 and verse 18. It says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Verse 18 Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here he knows and expects that we can be that example, that Christ like perfection. And that's what he wants for us. So, verse 19, it says. And then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, through this, we can begin to see how our actions should be when we're in these situations. How in our trials, in our tribulations. And that is, we can't get too excited We have to really keep focused on what is it that we need to remove from our life. Why are we being thrown into this trial? Why are we having this problem? And I think that's really key to handling these situations. I want you to jump over to James 4, verse 7 and 8. And what we're going to see here is, I actually think this is my favorite text in the Bible, especially related to this. So uh, if you're listening to anything, focus right now and take a look at it and uh, read it with me. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Now, this is the one text that at least to me shows me a clear example of what we have to do to remove sin from our lives. Okay? And it's really, I call it a five-step process here. Um, And usually what I do is I like to give a little bit better example. And that example that I think you can see in the world would be someone who smokes. Okay? Well, first of all, you have to buy cigarettes. Okay? So, through this example, it'll give us a good idea of what we need to do in our lives to remove any other sin. So, probably don't have a problem with smoking, but maybe you have a problem with X. You can take this example and you can implement it on how to remove that sin from your life. Now, this is oversimplifying it in many ways, but at the same time, when we have big problems and big issues, we need to really go to like a 500-foot level and we need to simplify them to figure out how to deal with them a lot of times. So in the example of someone who's smoking, they have to go to a 7-Eleven or they have to go to a store. They have to go somewhere to buy these cigarettes. And that's one major thing that they can do to overcome that sin is not to go back to that location. Okay? But the first thing that, uh, that this particular um, James 4, 7 says, it says that we need to submit to God. So submitting to God is you telling him and asking him to remove that sin from your life. So praying, diligently asking to remove the sin from your life, like smoking. The next thing you need to do is resist the devil. Now earlier I was talking to you about we have a work to do in removing sin. And I think a lot of times we want to think that we don't have a work to do. But even here it tells us we have a work to do. And we saw back in some of the other uh, things that we were, the other uh, paragraphs that we, we read through, that we do have a work to remove sin from our life. Um, so that work, and let's say the example of smoking would be, do not go back to the 7-Eleven. Don't go back to the store to buy those cigarettes. You have to avoid where you're getting them from, how you're getting them, to really help keep yourself from bringing that into your life. The next thing it says that you, uh, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So when you have problems, when you have issues, when you want to smoke or do whatever it is that you need to remove from your life, you need to move that train of thought away from that problem and back to God. Okay? And then, if we look at verse 10, I think it really sums it up. It says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So, after you give your heart, and you tell the Lord you want this sin removed from your life, You then resist the temptation. You remove that temptation from your life. And you draw close to God through each interaction that you have where you want to go back to it. 
you're preparing for that sin to be removed. Okay? And then in verse 10 where it says, humble yourself. So this has to be a real heartfelt interaction for this to work. Okay? And then the last thing that I believe we need to do to long-term overcome these sins that we have and these problems we have in our life is we have to replace it with something. So maybe you replace the smoking with chewing a piece of gum or something else. But you have to replace it with something that's good. You have to replace it with something that is, um, doesn't have anything to do with the nicotine and the cigarettes. Okay? Or whatever the sin might be. And that's just what I was talking about a second ago, is making sure that when you remove the issue and the problem, that you replace it with something better. Now, I want to look at a couple promises on victory, on overcoming, and it really kind of helps tie together this entire process. So let's turn over to 1 John 5, 4. And it says... For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So through these promises, each time that you might want to go back to that sin or to that smoking or whatever it is, we need to be thinking of these promises. We need to be talking to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit to help us to overcome One of my other favorite promises that we have in the Bible is Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want to go back to one of the other slides here. Well, through this process of removing sin, like I said before, it might be smoking, it might be something else that you need to work on. We need to ask the Lord each and every time and every opportunity that we run into problems to really help us to overcome. We can't do it ourselves. But there is a work that we have to do. And really that work is to avoid those situations that we might be putting ourselves into, to avoid bringing the issue into the house, bringing cigarettes or whatever it is, alcohol, whatever it might be, to really make sure that we have success in overcoming and to actually deal with the sin in our lives. Let me bring up one other slide. So the two questions that I have here are, why are trials good for us in our character? And I really want you to think about that. And the second one is, how do we remove the sin from our lives and permanently do so? Well, as we looked here today, when we remove things from our life through our trials, through tribulations, those trials and tribulations are put into our life so that we can be prepared and ready and that we can remove those sins from our lives. And then the second one is, the way that we remove those sins is by 
avoiding and replacing those sins and those issues with something better. So if there's anything you can take away today, it's look at uh, James 4, 7, and 8. Those are the best examples that we have on how to remove sin from our lives. And that is the sermon for today. So if you would kneel with me, we'll have prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, for your Sabbath. We thank you for your hedge of protection that you put around each one of us. We ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us as we go, and that it would continue through us through your Sabbath day. We ask and pray that as we see the world collapsing around us, that we would continue to search with the Holy Spirit our hearts, that you'd be preparing our minds and our families for your soon coming. We ask and pray for a clean heart. And we ask and pray, Lord, that each one of us will be together again on the sea of glass. In Jesus Christ, amen.